0: Well, we've been looking at the life of David for the last several weeks. And today will be our last week studying the life of David. And last week we looked at perhaps David's lowest point. After he um, took Bathsheba to himself, lied to try to cover it up, ended up putting her own husband to death on the battle lines. David was confronted with his sin at the lowest point of his life. And he acknowledged his sin and received those beautiful words of assurance that the Lord would not put him to death, that his sins were forgiven. And David would go on to write many psalms. He would go on to lead the nation of Israel. He would go on to fight and win battles. He would go on to raise children. His son Solomon would build the temple to the Lord. David's life at this point turns and he goes on to do wonderful things for the Lord. This morning we're going to look at how did he do that? Like how did his life change from the lowest of lows to going on to be a wonderful leader and man after God's own heart. We're going to look at Psalm 51 which David wrote during this season of his life. It's a psalm of repentance. A psalm of turning away from his sin and turning to the Lord. And my hope and prayer this morning is that as we read David's psalm, that we would learn from him how we too could experience that change. How can we, who at times might be facing the worst possible situation, Maybe you have been found out or caught or you have freely admitted something and you find yourself lost, wandering, and far from home. How, how can we go back home? How can we find our way? I believe Psalm 51 shows us that way. And so we're going to read this psalm, pray, and talk about it. And if you want to follow along, the outline in your bulletin shows you where we're going. David's psalm of repentance shows us that we need an examination, we need purification, and we need restoration. Let's read these first 12 verses. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sinned and my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now to your word and we pray, Spirit, would you impress upon our hearts this truth? Would you convict us of our sin and lead us to grace? Would you, um, would you show us the way back home, Lord, that, that our own lives might be transformed for your glory? And that, Lord, your church would go through renewal for the good of our neighbor, and ultimately, Lord, for you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, we need examination, purification, and restoration. First, we need examination. Um... I don't like going to the doctor. I've never liked going to the doctor. And as an adult, I can honestly say, it's been a long time since I've been to the doctor. And part of the reason why I don't like going to the doctor's office is because I know they're gonna draw blood and run tests, they're gonna take measurements, they're going to look at my body, and they're gonna reach a conclusion And I am terrified that their conclusion is that there is something wrong with me and that I'm going to have to deal with it. And it's because I don't want to hear that there's something wrong with my body. That's why I don't like going to the doctor. I don't want them to examine me. But David shows us that if we want to change, like if we want to turn our life around if we want to get up out of the pit, the first thing that we have to do is we have to go through an examination. We have to look inward and be honest about what is really wrong with ourselves. And David does this in the first several verses. First, he he takes ownership of his sin. He says five times in the first three verses, my transgressions, my iniquities, my sin, it's his. He owns up to it. He acknowledges his sin before God. He doesn't justify why he did what he did. He doesn't say, I am King David. I deserve a little break. I mean, I have busted my bottom for my people. I have deserved this. Now give me a break. No, he doesn't justify what he did. He doesn't rationalize and say, I was tired. I've been fighting war after war after war and I was taking a rest on my couch on the roof and I just wanted to have some fun. Give me a break. No. He doesn't say he deserves it. He doesn't say, he does not rationalize his sin. He owns up to it and acknowledges his own sin. He acknowledges what's true about himself. He takes ownership of it. Um, a handful of years ago, Sarah and I went through a, uh, a marriage class, kind of like a group uh, marriage counseling session for a handful of weeks. And one of the first things that they teach you In this class, and and the first thing that most marriage counseling will do at the beginning is say this, hey, draw a circle around yourself like a hula hoop. Step inside that circle and then work on yourself. Don't go out of your circle. You, You can't fix your spouse. You can't fix what's wrong with them. All you can do is fix what's wrong with you. Stay in your circle. Admit what's wrong in your own life so that when you admit you're wrong and your spouse admits they're wrong, only then can the two of you come together and actually work on healing your marriage. Stay in your circle, own up what's wrong with you. Now you might say, well you weren't there. You weren't there when he said what he said. I, I got angry and I did what I did because he said what he said, no. Stay in your circle. They're going to stay in their circle. Well, you, you didn't see what she did. You know, I said what I said because of what she did. No. Stay in your circle. Own up to your sin. That's the first step. Take ownership of your own sin. But then David says uh, he, he, he feels the weight of his sin. Not only does he acknowledge his sin, he feels the weight of his sin. He says, against you, he's talking to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is wrong and evil in your sight. What's he saying? Is he saying that he didn't sin against Bathsheba? Or that he didn't sin against Uriah, Bathsheba's husband? Is David saying he didn't sin against the fellow soldiers who died with Uriah or that he didn't sin against the nation of Israel at the time? No, that's not what David's saying. He's, he's actually using this rhetorical device of repeating again and again the object of his lament. You, Lord, against you alone have I sinned. It's this, this uh, intensifier. His heart is breaking because he acknowledges the weight of his sin against the Lord. Yes, he did sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and all of Israel, but they were made in the image of God. And so any sin against them, even the least of them, was ultimately a sin against the Lord, and it is breaking his heart. Years later, David would have a son, Absalom, And as Absalom grew up, he got into the battles, the wars, as the son of the king. And and David loved Absalom. And one day he was off fighting, and Absalom died in battle. And when the word got back to David that his son, his dear son, died, David retreats to his chambers and cries out, and weeps, my son, my son, Absalom, Absalom. He was dear to his heart, and his heart was broken. Remember how Jesus on the cross, as he is dying, cries out, my God, my God. His heart is broken. And here we see David's heart broken under the weight of his sin, Against you, O oh Lord, you alone have I sinned. Does your heart break under the weight of what you have done against God? Do you feel that? Every week we have a confession of sin and, and we provide the words to pray. And I, my fear every week is that that we would just be going through the motions and that we wouldn't feel the weight of what it is that we're confessing. Maybe we need to take a more careful posture of humility and brokenness when we read those prayers. Our heart needs to break for our sin under the weight of it. David acknowledges his sin. He takes ownership of it. He feels the weight of it, but then he also sees the depth of his sin. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me? And he's not commenting about the circumstances of how he was conceived or born into the world. No, he's talking about that at the core of who he is, from the very beginning of his life, sin has characterized his life. All the way down to the very nature of who he is. He is A sinner. He's not a sinner because he sins. He sins because he is a sinner. It is part of the fabric of his life, woven together while still in his mother's womb. St. Augustine, in his uh, book, The Confession, or on Confession, he tells this, this famous story of when he was running around with his childhood friends, uh, they would get into a lot of trouble. And this is before uh, he converted to Christianity. You retells us this story, one night he was playing with his friends, and they were walking home, and on the property next to his own house, there was a, a pear tree. And they didn't own the pear tree, none of the kids owned the pear tree, but this pear tree was there, and it was filled with ripe fruit for the picking. And the boys said, let's go pick it. Let's go jump the fence to that tree. And so Augustine did. He went up to the trunk and shook it. And pears fell down, and they gathered them up and stole them. Now, they didn't go back and eat them. They didn't like pears. They fed them to the pigs. And Augustine says this, reflecting on this event. He asked, why did I do this? Why did I steal these pears? He says, because doing all of this pleased me because it was forbidden. I wanted to do it because I wasn't allowed to do it. That was what was in my heart. It was foul and I loved it. He understood that his very heart, the center of his being, the thing that gave him direction in life, the very nature of his existence was corrupted By sin. Let us not think, brothers and sisters in Christ, that just because we have turned away from our sin to Jesus, that our sin and nature is not still corrupted by sin. It is. Yes, Jesus has taken away the penalty for our sin. And one day he will remove completely the power of sin. But until that day in the age to come, we will walk around carrying in our bodies the evidence and corruption of this sinful world. It is there in the depths of our being. David says we need to examine ourselves and find what's wrong. Do you take ownership of your sin? Do you feel the weight of your sin? Do you see how down deep it is in your heart? I said last week when we were looking at this story that the seeds of every sin are in the heart of every man. Do you know that to be true about you? A couple years ago, there was a popular Netflix show called Broadchurch. Anyone watch Broadchurch? It's great mystery. And it's about this uh, small town in southern England. Very small town. Everyone knows each other. And uh, an 11-year-old child uh, turns up murdered. And the local detective, Ellie, she just can't figure it out. And she's going around asking people what's going on. She can't figure it out. So uh, a, a big-time detective from the big city comes, Alec. And, and Alec doesn't know any of these people. He's ruthless. Ellie's going around saying, oh, I, can't, I can't believe someone in our town would have done this this little child. I just can't believe anyone would be capable of doing that. I know these people. I've lived with them all my life. I've bought from their shops. I've ate at their restaurants. I couldn't believe anyone here can do that. Don't people have a moral compass? To which Alec responds, compasses break. David says the first step towards repentance, repentance is examination Are you broken? David says yes. That's what we need to admit. But there is hope. There's hope even for us. In fact, there is hope only for us if we're broken. What does that hope look like? Well, after we examine ourselves, David says that we need purification That's the next step in repentance, purification. And so David cries out in this psalm that he wants to be washed. Wash me from my sin, cleanse me from my iniquity. He wants his sin blotted out. He views his his sin as a stain on his clothes, a stain that has been set in that he can't get out. Like, I am notorious for getting stains on my shirt all the time. I don't think I can eat a meal without dropping something on my shirt. I stain my shirts all the time. But I'm so thankful for detergent. And I just pop it in the wash and it comes out clean. Like that's not so in the ancient world. Stains set in and you have to rub it out over and over again. Maybe David says, "I want to be clean." I want this stain blotted out, removed from me. I feel dirty. I want to be washed. I want to be pure. You know, it's widely reported that, that sexual assault victims, reflecting on what has been done to them, that they feel a sense of being unclean and dirty, and they, they take long showers to try to clean themselves they feel dirty. Look, David is saying sin is like that. It makes you feel dirty and defiled and and unclean. And so we cry out, wash me, clean me, make me pure. David says, purge me with hyssop. Do you know what the hyssop branch is? Hyssop branch is is a branch with many sort of twigs with um, leaves off of it. And they they would use it in the Old Testament in a cleansing ceremony. When when an individual who had leprosy in the community, you know, leprosy, this this skin disease that was um, contagious and would eat away at their skin. When, When a leper would walk through the community, they'd have to say, I'm unclean. Stay away from me. I am unclean. They weren't welcomed in society. But when this person with leprosy was cleansed and and healed of the disease, they'd go before the priest and they would offer up a sacrifice. They'd slaughter the animal on the altar and then they'd take the hyssop branch and they would dip it in the blood and the priest would take the branch and sprinkle the man or the woman and say, You are clean. You are clean. Isn't that what our hearts want? We want to be clean. We want to be pure. I feel like every day I wake up with thoughts and memories and ideas and words that just condemn me over and over again. I want to be clean. When we come to church on Sunday, when I stand in front of you and and pronounce the assurance of your forgiveness, I am saying, in Christ, you are clean. You are not dirty anymore. You are not filthy. You are not defiled. You are pure because of the blood of Christ sprinkled on you. We want to be pure. Pure. We want to be cleaned. And David calls out, Clean me, O Lord. Wash me pure. But David knows that this, this cleansing can't stop on the outside. It needs to go deeper. He knows that his sin is not just in what he's said or what he's done or what he's thought. He knows that his sin is in his heart. And so he doesn't just say, Wash me, O Lord. He says, Give me a new heart. Create in me a new heart, oh God. Give me a new spirit within me. For David to be purified is not just to be cleansed of his conscience and his guilt and his shame. It is deeper than that. He says, God, put me on the operating table and open me up. Give me a new heart. Do you feel the gravity of that? He's not just saying, God, give me new morals. He's not saying, God, just give me new behaviors. He's saying, no, open me up, take out my dead heart, and give me new life with new desires, new affections for Christ, a new way of living in this world. David wants a new heart. What about you? What about you this morning? How is your heart? Scripture warns us that our hearts are deceitful above all things. Of course, our sinful heart is going to tell us that we're not that bad. How's your heart this morning? Friends, we need to go under the knife. We need a heart transplant. Then and only then will we have that right spirit within us, and we can experience what David says is next, which is restoration. Let's look at what David says we need in restoration. He says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of, of your salvation. Restore to me joy. I want to be glad again. I want to rejoice. I want to sing your praises. I, 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 I don't want to... Uh... He says, I want to be glad. I want to be brought back to life. I want to experience the joy of this relationship with you. He doesn't want to be stuck in his sin. He wants to go on and declare the marvelous truth to his brothers and sisters. He wants to be used by God to turn them from their sin and turn them back to the Lord. He wants to go on and lead the people of Israel to the Lord. He wants to be used by God. But above all those things, his utmost desire, the place where he will find true joy, is in the Lord's salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. What is the heart of salvation? What is the essence of what we have in the gospel? Is it not a restored relationship with God? That's what David wants. Above the feeling of gladness and joy, he wants to be united to God again. He wants to feel God's presence restored in his relationship with him. We get that in verse 9 and verse 11. He says, hide your face from my sins. Turn your face away from my sin and back to me. I want to see your face, God. God. Don't look at my sin. Look at me. Back when I was in college, I was a student leader of a campus um, Christian ministry. I was leading Bible studies. I was discipling um, students. Uh, but I was also uh, a college student at a party school. And I took advantage of that. And I found myself drinking a lot and to the point of drunkenness multiple times, again and again. And there was a, a leader, a staff person over my part of the ministry. And he had warned me and he had talked to me, but there was this one conversation we had. We sat down face to face. He said, Jeremy, I, I don't know what we can do anymore. I've lost trust in you. You keep doing this again and again. I've given you chance after chance after chance. We're going to take this ministry away from you. And then from that conversation on, look, it was probably a good thing that I had to take a break. But from that conversation on, this guy, uh, he, he cut off all ties to me. We were meeting before that, weekly, gone. I was in his Bible study that he was leading, that ended. To this day, uh, we can't really look each other in the eye. We've run into each other a couple times, our, our paths have crossed. That relationship is ended. I'm not trying to... Past the blame, clearly I was responsible for a lot of that. But I do feel like in that moment, he turned his face away from me and rested it on my sin. And What I needed to hear in that moment was, Jeremy, I'm going to come nearer to you. I'm going to turn my face away from your sin, and I'm going to come close to you because I love you, and I know what you're going through, and I'm going to press in and care for you. Yeah, we're going to take a break from what you're doing, but I'm going to come closer. He turned his face from me and turned it to his, my sin. David says, God, don't do that. Turn away from my sin and turn your face to me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Draw me closer. I need to feel you. I need to be restored. Restored. That's what David wants. Set your gaze of grace upon my life. Restore our relationship. Don't cast me out of your presence. Bring me close. Hold me tight. Don't let me go. Look, David's ultimate desire in this repentance is not just that he would get rid of his sin. It's not even just that, that God would remove his guilt and his shame. No, David's ultimate desire is to be closer to the Lord. We have to get this. The goal of repentance is not just turning away from sin and turning to holiness. It is turning away from sin and being embraced by the Lord. The trajectory of our repentance is deeper fellowship with God. I grew up in a church and in a Christian household and I'm so thankful for that. But as I've reflected on my life growing up in the church, I feel like all I ever heard was that the purpose of life, the goal of my Christian life was to get rid of my sin, to grow in holiness so that I, as I would get older and wiser that I would sin less And do good more. To put it another way, I thought that the goal of life was that I would grow and increase in holiness so that I didn't need Jesus anymore. Friends, that's so wrong. The goal of our Christian life is not needing Jesus less and less. It is needing him more and more so that we grow in our dependence on him that we grow in our reliance upon him, that we draw closer and closer to him. That is the goal of the Christian life. That is the purpose of repentance, to be restored to the joy of our salvation, which is a relationship with God himself. That is David's prayer. And that needs to be our prayer. What assurance does David speak of? What assurance does David have that this prayer will be answered for him? When we pray this prayer, what is our assurance that God hears us and listens to us and responds to us? You have to look at verse one because David starts out with it. Everything else is conditioned upon and on the basis of this one plea. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He doesn't say, forgive me because I'll do better next time. He doesn't say, wash me clean because I deserve it. He doesn't say, blot out my transgressions because it was a mistake, an accident, I didn't mean to. No, he roots his prayer of confession and repentance not on himself, but on the unfailing, never giving up love of God. His covenant love, that love that is unfailing, that endures through the hardest of times, his love that he has bound himself to, that love through which he has committed himself to us in Christ. That love that he has vowed to show us, he has vowed to protect us and to forgive us. On that basis, his steadfast love, God, forgive me, show me mercy, not because I deserve it, but because you have promised it Because you have promised it to me. Not because I deserve it, but because you love me. Love me because you love me. is what he's saying. Friends, we need this. We need this objective truth of God's love that does not rest on our circumstances. That is not conditioned upon how good or bad we have been lately. But this this truth, this anchor for our soul outside of ourselves that does not waver, the truth of God's unwavering love for us. Do you want to know what that looks like? Paul says, God shows us that love, He demonstrates that love for us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You want to have an external, objective, unwavering anchor for your soul of God's unending love for you? Something that you know you can always go to him and say, God, forgive me, I don't deserve it, but because of your compassion, your mercy, your love, forgive me. You want to know why he will always answer you? It's because he sent his son to die for you when we were sinners. David's request is that his sin would be blotted out. That he would be purer than snow. That that God's face would not depart from him. That he would not be cast out from the presence of God. Friends, that is only available to you because all of that happened to Jesus. He was blotted out for your sin so that God could blot out your sin. He was crushed for your iniquity, so that he could cleanse you from your iniquity. The Father's face turned away from Christ on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that you would have the assurance that he will never turn his face away from you. Jesus was cast into the depths of hell, So that we would know for certain that we can always draw near and be held close to the Father. You want to turn your life around? You want to go from the the bottom of the pit to the heights of the mountains? Are you wandering and lost in your sin and don't know how to go home? Are you weary and heavy laden by the burden of your guilt and shame? David shows us that if we examine ourselves and acknowledge our sin, if we fall upon the grace of God who promises to purify us, then we will experience that restoration. We will be brought near and be welcomed home. He loves you. and That is a joyful salvation. Let's pray.